Just wanted to throw in a quick update and apology before this episode. I know it's been a few weeks since we've updated, and realistically, I just did not have the motivation, willpower, drive to to do anything. So I, I, I just didn't do any editing, and I apologize for that. But we are back at it, and we are going to be at PAX South coming up here. I also just want to say that we will extend the chance to get a goodie basket from us if you leave a written review on itunes so we can see that username maybe take a screenshot of leaving the review we will announce that in a couple weeks and whoever we choose will get a bunch of stuff sent from us but we will extend that because of the lack of posting and if you are in packs if you see us feel free to say hi thank you Hey guys, welcome back to A Bite of D&D, the podcast that adds flavor to your games and campaigns. My name is Zach, and across the internet is my co-host, Micah. How you doing? And today, it's the holiday season. Uh, I, I think we can still say that. Kind of, so, sort of. New Year's hasn't happened quite yet. By the time the episode comes out, it will have. But uh, as of right yeah. now, it's holiday season. We're feeling festive, so... We said, what is a festive creature that we can talk about or a festive race or something that we can talk about that feels like Christmas? And I think that we stumbled across... The most appropriate. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. It it works. And we haven't talked about them. And we need to. It's definitely a core point. So we're going to be talking about elves today. Santa's this... helpers. Yes, yeah, Santa's helpers. This is a hard episode for me, at least. What do you what do you think about this well, before we get into it, Micah? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've said in more than one episode that I'm not particularly fond of elves in general. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll try to breathe life into them in a way that is uh, beneficial to everybody. And I promise I won't I won't be hating on them during this episode. Yeah, I think. I think as far as I'm concerned, I don't hate elves. I hate what elves have become. Does that make sense? Yeah. I I think a lot of what can potentially make elves very interesting is oftentimes thrown out the window or just ignored in favor of them being the hippie tree humans or the exceptionally beautiful long-eared humans or... Some other variant of they play exactly like a human, but they're elves and different. Yeah, there's a lot of I guess I've I've seen recently a couple couple things online talking about how an elf should have almost an alien mind in comparison to a human, and I I, I like that. Some of them were I saw I saw a post a while back that was talking about the um, physicality, the anatomy of elves maybe even should be completely different than that of a human and all of that speaks true to in to some respects of my viewpoint in that if i'm going to have elves they better be in my world which i always do they're going to have to be something crazy different or something that that 
based on the context around them and what they surround themselves with and how they act and how they behave and how they speak and their motivations. They are not a human and no one would suspect them as such. I don't think uh, there's anything wrong with embracing elf tropes, yeah. but I feel like oftentimes even those tropes kind of get ignored when we're role-playing them. I, I, again, I feel like it always comes down to they're a long-eared human and how they behave the majority of the time. Yeah, and um, I would I would clarify for our audience that we're going to be talking today specifically about two types of elves. The two types that are in the player's handbook, other than the drow, we're going to be talking about high elves, we're going to be talking about wood elves today. Yeah, we feel like the other the other subraces are different enough from regular elves that you get enough of a different feel on them just the way they are. I mean, we we've talked about the Eladrin and how they've got the season concept. We've talked about the Drow and the Underdark and the Demon Worship. We feel like uh, some of the other elves have enough of a difference just in their general physicality or their locations and their environment in general that they are very different from Mm -hmm. your normal elf whereas i think the wood elves and the high elves are just so common and so prevalent throughout fantasy that they're the Mm -hmm. ones that are more likely to kind of get lumped into this long-eared human role right right yep so that's what we're going to stick this to so and and we're going to in my mind at least i'd like to focus on what are the tropes that we need to cling to and what are the twists on those tropes that we could explore um, within these two and we're not going to we're not going to branch out and say, "Ooh, what about a water elf?" Because there are water elves, sea elves, or "Oh, what about an underdark?" I mean, there's there's an elf for every occasion. So we're going to stick to these largely, but but maybe explore just the fringes. But I think I'm going to focus at least on what makes this type of elf special. Okay, so let's start with high elves. So when we talk about high elves, what are we talking about? I think we typically are talking about the very haughty better than you demeanor that i think elves are probably most well known for that's kind of what was established within tolkien's work i feel like especially is they're more high elves than they are the wood elves they're very proud they view themselves as kind of above or at least less childlike than humans are practitioners of magic very well read educated elegant the epitome of physical beauty sort of thing. Mm -hmm. All of those things are exactly right. And exactly, I think where most people draw the line. Yeah. Right. And, and to me, you hit on something uh, before, before the recording talking about an elf is going to interact in society completely different than a human acts. Yes. Interacts in society. You, you have to take into account how long elves live for. I mean, they they are they are around for centuries. They kind of laugh at us humans squabbling around in the dirt, trying to make something of our pathetically short lives. If they feel slighted, they probably don't care all that much. It's you're going to be dead soon. What what does your opinion matter? Yeah. So I don't think they would react to small insults the same way a human would and that even is covered in the book however for the bigger things things that they feel deserve action i will play the long game they have plenty of time to get whatever perfect form of vengeance they feel is necessary so if they feel like their honor or 
character has been slighted in some way, or if they feel like someone has done wrong to their house or their name, they may not act quickly. They may not act even slowly. If you have some 20-year-old hothead noble that very publicly disgraced some high elf amongst the other nobles or within the court, they may wait, you know, 60 years when that young hotshot of a noble of, of 20 is now a frail old man of 80 who's trying to settle his affairs and, you know, hand out different pieces of his property and fortune. And maybe that's when they pull the pin on their whole plan and just watch as this old man's life crumbles around him as his legacy evaporates before his eyes and he's left with nothing. I feel like that's the exact sort of long, long game of of petty revenge that a high elf would potentially take. And I would I would turn that and say on the on the, on that end, and then also looking at it on the player's end. If you have a player or you are a player that is playing a high elf, I would say high elves reach maturity at the same pace as a human. They're not considered fully an adult until like a hundred, but they reach maturity at 20-ish is I think what the book says. So I guess what I'm saying there is unless you're playing like an elf in their teens, like this elf, the elf that you're playing, even at level one, even if it's a low quote unquote commoner high elf, they're, they're being raised, they're being brought up in an atmosphere of being trained to have this mindset of the long game of superiority of all of these things. And there's not, in my mind, in that sort of a society, especially one that doesn't have a lot of members, you know, there's not a ton of high elves walking around. Each member of society is going to be trained and instructed from an early age on how to act and how to react and how to present oneself in society as a whole. And so as an adventurer, I don't really see a whole lot of room in here for like a a chaotic high elf barbarian yada yada. And while like, it's... I, Certainly fun to maybe pull something like that out. I I agree. I feel like to some extent, it's okay to lean into those tropes of, well, this race tends to be this. Every once in a while, you can break the mold, but I'm not a, I'm not generally a fan of the Driz Doerden sort of characters that are one-offs from their entire race. It can be fine, but I feel like almost every campaign has something like that, and if everyone is special, no one is special. I would agree. I I think that that if you're playing a high elf or if you have a high elf in your game, I think their goal is always is always to be the at the highest point, to be at, at the the king of the hill. And to me, that always, if you look in the in in real light, that always involves some propane and propane supplies. Yeah. Yes, uh, it always involves keeping their head in the game. It involves a mindset. It involves a plan. It involves initiative. It involves planning and skill. Um, all of those things to get on top. And I think in D anD D, you're going to see a lot of high elf wizards. You're going to see high elf necromancers. You're going to see maybe maybe some sorcerers thrown in there. You're going to see the nobles, the lords, the kings, stuff like that. You don't. You're probably not going to see a whole lot of like shipping merchants that are high elves that make, you know, a decent living. Like that to me doesn't make any sense. Well, and one thing I think you can do with high elves is really fall into and really embrace your background. You may have an adventurer that is a high elf 
that is starting out at level one at 320. I feel like that can be a hurdle to overcome for people as to, well, how do they not have more experience than this if they're that old? Well, maybe they've been a very prolific artist for most of that time. They've been pursuing other interests, and finally they get tired of that day-to-day life, that wanderlust sets in, and they want to go see the world. Maybe that artist's wrist or whatever uh, now holds a rapier, and they're learning how to to do an artistic dance in their sword play, something like a, a College of the Swords bard or yeah. even just a, a particularly suave rogue or something like that. You can make it fit with several different things, but you can really lean into that background as to, yeah, they may be a low-level adventurer, but this is where they draw their inspiration from. Yeah, I like that. And I would say, again, it comes back to how do these elves stand out in a in, in society? How are they different than humans? And I think if you can't answer that within the scope of your character— or your NPC, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta dig a little deeper. And I, I think that's, you know, it can't just be like, well, he's three hundred years old. And 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 so I like where you're going with the saying, like, this is a master artist who is now looking for something else to occupy his time. Like that's something that a human can't can't lay claim to. Or maybe they've they were a master storyteller or puppeteer, and they're tired of retelling other people's stories, and they want to go make their own. Yeah, Maybe adventuring is a temporary thing for them. Maybe they do it for, I say temporary, and I'm about to say 100 years, but maybe they go out for 100 years to go adventuring so they can come back with their own stories to tell, their own pictures to paint, their their own vision of beauty yeah. to, to bring out. So th- it's not necessarily like this is a career for them. I feel like adventuring for a high elf could be a midlife crisis. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that could be interesting. This this involves a lot of working with your DM to make sure that you're not constructing an elaborate backstory that isn't feasible or that, that is too ridiculous for the rest of the party. But I think that it's reasonable that if you're going to play a high elf, that, that you come from some high standing to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything else you want to cover on high elves before we dip over into what else? No, I think we'll retouch on them later about how maybe you can change elves for your setting or your campaign but i think we can do that after we touch on our wood elf friends as well cool so one thing as we're getting into wood elves i would note that i find interesting and that i definitely incorporate in different ways into my campaigns is that in first and second edition there were wood elves and there were wild elves and then uh, well let me rephrase that in first and second edition those two were the same thing wood elves and wild elves same thing they were both feral they were both tribal. They were both living off the land. In third and fourth edition, they split those two up. And you had wood elves and you had wild elves. And wild elves were the feral ones. And wood elves were the ones that had a society and a an understanding, if you will, about nature and their place within it. And in fifth edition, they've kind of, it seems like they brought that back together. And to me, that gives you an excellent opportunity to set these elves farther apart from their other elven counterparts by making them feral to make them, as you said at one point, willfully ignorant. So let's dig into the willfully ignorant part. Wood elves are your hippie elves. 
I mean, they're they're the ones that care for nature. They don't like arcane magic or or magic that is unnatural. So the there's a line where they view it the same way that they view masons building a wall or the farmer plowing their field. It's it's disruptive to the natural order of things. And yeah. they would rather sit in the woods and send smoke signals to each other through druidic magic than studying a library, learning this forbidden knowledge. And I think part of the reason that high elves come off holier than thou so pretentious in comparison is that they view that mindset as willfully ignorant. There is other knowledge out there. There are other races to learn from. There's other things going on in the world and they, I believe, high elves believe you should not shut yourselves away from that, whereas the wood elves don't want anything to do with it. Now, you know, we talked about, we talked about something several times now, which is this high-minded ideal of an elf. Um, we talked about that with high elves. Now we're starting to dip it into, dip into it with, uh, with forest elves, wood elves, uh, to some extent. I would notate, I think that there's a reasonable there's a part of their existence that makes it reasonable for them to have that mindset. They, in a large way, are gods among men, gods among humanity. That cannot be understated. Like, in my mind, there's maybe an, a different argument for it, but but in my mind, um, Wood Elf Druid is going to become, has the opportunity to become so much more powerful, so much more powerful than a human Druid could ever hope to be. Now, now I think Tolkien argues at some point that to, to reference him again, Tolkien argues at some point that man's gift of morality uh, or uh, of mortality makes them more ambitious and makes them able to achieve much more in their 60 years than an elf could ever dream of. But I still don't think that there really can be a comparison between an archdruid elf and an archdruid human and that lends itself to an atmosphere to a persona to a to a holier than thou as you said it called it that i think is to some extent achieved they are holier than thou well and i know we we're supposed to hit on wood elves and we keep kind of dipping back but i feel like part of that mortality piece i'm gonna go back to the artwork side of things an elf who has centuries of living may dedicate a large portion of their life to one individual work they may spend one year on one piece to make it as perfect as possible. Elven artwork and and design is always known to be some of the most beautiful out there. Well, they have plenty of time to make sure that they do it perfectly. Whereas humans, those of us with shorter mortal lives, you know, you have only so much time to get it done. You don't have time to look at every angle in every shadow of the setting sun to see how the, the the angles play off of each other to get it into a line or build everything in the most proper way. You build a bunch of junk and you're terrible at it. And you just keep making junk and you keep putting out crap until suddenly it's it's not as crappy. And you just like force yourself to improve. Whereas I think elves are more you can view them as more naturally gifted, but they often take longer to do it just because they know they can. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. Oh, yeah. uh, but they, they have the ability to take their time to make sure that their one piece is perfect, whereas humans will throw out thousands before they find something that would be deemed beautiful by an elf standards because they don't have the time to work out all the imperfections. 
their art is built on their imperfections. So let's look at the other side of the coin here. And let's talk about going back to wood elves. You know, we talked about their high mindedness, their patience, their ability to play a long game as elves and all this. But let's look at the other side um, where wood elves can be these feral creatures. Talk to me about or let's talk about where does that feralness come from? Well, I think as they're described in the book, I don't necessarily think wood elves are described as necessarily being feral. But if you look at other works with similar types of elves, whether that be Elder Scrolls with the Bosmer, Divinity Original Sin 2 has a, a fairly similar take on uh, the elves there with a very different design. But both the Bosmer and those elves within Divinity Original Sin consume flesh just as part of their daily lives. In Original Sin, they're actually eating those body parts to help access the memories of the dead. A very feral, a very savage form of magic almost. And to nature, that's that's normal. I mean, the predator and prey always exists. And so I think a lot of times in our games, wood elves are just, like I said, kind of the hippie elves happy-go-lucky, you know, whatever. And I think you can definitely spin that around and make them more animalistic. Again, part of the reason why maybe the high elves view themselves as above that. They've overcome those animalistic tendencies. I think we saw that the wood elves were like the original elves, the original Eladrin that got sent out into the world and and got lost, Mm -hmm. kind of wandering that space. And as the, you know, maybe that fey magic left them, you can almost view that or play that as if with that fey magic gone, their their minds didn't maybe know how to react to their new environments. And they just became one with the beasts there. And you could almost play a wood elf as far more animalistic or feral in nature than I feel like they, they typically would. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I'm thinking about with wood elves, I mean, they're the most prevalent of the races uh, of the elven races they're the most widespread but but one thing that i keep thinking about uh, especially for widows because they always seem to be armed and armored is you know these elves could live centuries and yet here they are always in arms uh, always in armor and and why is that and and i think the answer there comes to the idea of an elf fighting is gambling you're an immortal or near immortal creature and you're willing to pick up a sword and go potentially spill your own blood centuries before age would ever do so. And I, to me, the answer there comes down to having a cause higher than themselves, than the individual. And, and a lot of times that's a deity with the elves, but it could also just be nature in and of itself, right, or something like that. But I think that's a big part of elven culture is finding that, that thing that makes that makes that that risk that that danger that adventure that excitement if you're a player that adventure worthwhile have meaning um, and isn't just this huge risk that doesn't really serve a purpose well in even this this holds true for us in real life everybody needs to feel as though they have a purpose and when you live as long as the elves do you need to find something to give you meaning, something to make your existence worthwhile. And I think for the wood elves, that is definitely protecting nature, stopping the encroaching civilization that is intent on destroying the natural world as more and more stone and metal buildings 
tear down the trees around them. So their purpose is to to protect those woods from anyone intruding upon it who who would desecrate that ground and preserve what nature has given us. Yeah, exactly. And and I I, I would re just hit this point home for for the player who's playing a wood elf. Just think about that that a wood elf isn't going to subjugate itself to danger, to combat, to to risk without cause at least in my mind like he's not a human their life is over in an instant whether they risk it or no so so they don't have as much value in it most of the time but an elf has a lot to lose and i think that every time they pick up a sword they need to be thinking about that and that should that should give a some form of solemnness to wielding a weapon so i want to kind of turn this around and kind of end on how we can make elves in our games maybe slightly more unique. I don't think you need to go find an elf that nobody has ever played before or behave in a way that nobody has ever done before. I think finding a my elf is different scenario is an effort in futility. But I think you can definitely bring some ideas in that will give a fresh perspective within your own games. We've already kind of hit with the wood elves how they can be a more feral, more animalistic. Bring in those ideas from Elder Scrolls, from Divinity, the flesh-eating, maybe a more shamanistic attitude towards uh, divination. Yeah. I mean, you could, I could see you playing a divination wizard. We, we talked about how wood elves are against magic. But if you flavor something like a divination wizard around the eating of slain foes, or depending on how you take those skills, you could you could flavor using those spells in a way with communing with nature. If there's certain material components that wouldn't make sense for a wood elf to have, I mean, honestly, the important part of that is that gold value. They're kind of meant to be a gold sink of some sort for those powerful spells. Work with your DM on a different material that maybe you would need to collect to perform those that wouldn't go against being a wood elf. But you can play some of those typically more intelligence-based classes or things and play them as a wood elf if you want to to play a certain class but you like the idea of a wood elf you can always flavor these things to work the way it needs to i would say lean heavy and if if it was me i would say lean heavy into the druidic side of things with wood elves i like the wizard i like what you're talking about with divination magic i think that works perfectly with this but i think i think you know think about a, a, a druid can uh, transform into creatures that it's seen. Think about how many creatures an elf has seen in 500 years or an arch druid that's 2,000 years old that's maybe seen creatures that are no longer among the living, that's maybe seen those magical, mystical creatures that no, nothing else, nobody else has been able to catch sight of. I think that that's interesting. I think that like just this savagery, like a savage druidic elf in my mind, you know, just covered in mud and grime wearing a loincloth just just and while we're speaking about savage elves i don't think your elves all need to be stick thin supermodels either maybe this elf is an upside down pyramid of a creature because it skipped leg day and it got buff as crap beating up bears in the woods and it's just this tank of a thing that covered in hair and when it gets into battle it goes into a a frenzy and and turns into another one of those creatures yeah i think so Uh, to me to me you lean into that animalistic side is definitely a great way to go 
when it comes to that. And I think a lot of times when you talk about elves and nature, we're thinking elves and like plants and things like that. I like the idea of elves and animals of, of tooth and claw a lot. And I think that that's a good combination. The other thing I think you can pretty easily do is high elves are the, the, the book describes two different kinds. So you have those that integrate within society fine, and there may be more noble and things. And that's kind of more along the lines of what we talked about in this episode. But you also have the high elves who view themselves even as above other elves, uh, above everyone. And I feel like you could pretty easily kind of go down a slightly darker road with that, where maybe over the centuries they used to be this once very proud race and they still view themselves as that way. But anymore, those high elves are kind of sickly and frail from years of, you know, maybe inbreeding and how, because they view everyone else as lesser. So they have to breed with, you know, pure stock and how you almost have this cultish sect of elves that keep popping up throughout the campaign trying to to get some unknown ritual or task done mm-hmm. in order to put them ahead of everyone. And they could be an interesting group of NPCs working in the background against your players. Or maybe you're playing one that came from that who finally was exposed to the outside world and realized that if they are going to maybe save their race from damning themselves, that they need to do something and maybe that was their cause for adventure yeah i like all of those things like those are all interesting bits that that i would be fascinated to see an elf like that in a game i you 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 talked about high elves i don't really have a whole lot to add to high elves in my campaigns and my view of them if i'm going to tell you how how to flavor them i would say the fewer the better like (laughs) in my mind and, and and not to say that you shouldn't you shouldn't like I think that the answer is somewhere between above zero, above zero, and less than like if you're talking about a major city, I think that high elves should be three percent or less of the population. Like just there should be a few of them. But they should be I, maybe the one percent. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and to me, when a player sees a high elf in a campaign, they should know kind of like being in the presence of a lord. Or in the presence of a necromancer, or in the presence of a um, something from another plane, you know, they are in the presence of a creature of worth. Well, and I think um, an, an example of that you could pull from is from the movie Bright. I'm not going to talk about it as a movie, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the elves in that society are the upper class. Yep. There are elf-only areas. They are the rich. They are the wealthy. And despite the dark one in that movie having been an elf, somehow it's the orc's fault. Like, yeah, I, they, they they are so... They put themselves above everyone by so much that even when it's them that are the worst of the worst, it's not them. That's, and that that's kind a, of mentality, I think, is what high elves really shine as. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think, and and I'm going to wrap this up here because I know we're way long, but I don't think that a high elf society makes much sense. Like the idea of like, oh, here's a city that's all high elves. Like that to me is like, why? What? What? Perp- like you talk about a long game. They need to be in a place. They, I think, to make the most sense, they need to be in a place where they can use that to their advantage. And being in a city full of equals is ridiculous when you can go anywhere else in the world and be a god among men and so that's 
to me, that's where you're going to see them the most of the times is you see that huge tower in the middle of the city. Who owns that? It's all, it's gotta be a, a high elf. You go um, out into a, a, the countryside and you see this huge castle that's built into the cliff face and it's gorgeous. And it has hundreds of fields that feed into it. That might be out owned by a high elf, but they have, they, they find the places, the corners, the, the hubs of society where, they can easily obtain extreme nobility. And I think that's where they make their home most often. Well, with that, I think we're going to wrap this up. As always, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter. If you leave us a review on iTunes, and it needs to have be a written review so that we can see the name here in a couple weeks, I, I, I think maybe what should we do after we get back from PAX South? I think that's reasonable. After we get back from PAX South, we will pick one of those reviews and we will send out a whole mess of goodies to whoever we pick. It will be random. We will throw your names in a hat or a digital hat of sorts and select a name from those reviews and we will send you a goodie basket full of everything. Yeah, and it's if you you hate this podcast and you just happen to tune into this episode where we, where we talked about a review and you want to go and give us a, a, a terrible review... We'll, we'll send we'll send a whole goodie bag to a person who doesn't like us at all if you leave. So uh, just keep that in mind that if you hate us and you leave a review, we're going to send you a bunch of stuff. That's right. So. You don't have to do that. We'd prefer you didn't do that, but we'll give you right. stuff anyway. Yeah, we'll annoy you. Yeah, so I think that's it. Like you said, go check us out on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We're, you just said, I think for the first time, that confirmed that we are going to be at PAX South. If you can find us there. We would love to see you. We don't um, really run any games at PAX. There's been a D&D thing going at least last year. I don't. Maybe last year may have been the first year for it. We don't really run any games there. That's kind of the convention we go just to hang out. But if you see yeah. us, we'll we'll definitely be happy to say hi. Yep. And then we'll be at Winter Fantasy uh, in a couple the months. Beginning, yeah, like two weeks after PAX. It's beginning of February. <laughs> yeah. So uh, lots of opportunity for you guys to, to stop us and chat us up and tell us what we're doing wrong. Or right. <laughs> Preferably right, both. Yeah, there we go. Thank you so much, and we appreciate you tuning in, and we will see you next week. See ya.